0: I'm so thankful all of you here at the North Richmond Hills campus of the Hills Church and all of you that watch online. Thank you for spending part of the Christmas season with us because I am fully aware of how crazy this time of year can get. There's no other time of year where it seems like there are more demands on our time than the Christmas season. There are the office parties There are the civic events. There are the church programs and the Christmas pageants at the school. And somebody has got to make the costumes for all those things. There is all of the cooking that has to be done and the cleaning of the house. And there's all the shopping that has to be done and all the wrapping of the things that were bought that has to be done. And then there's the decorating. There's simply no time of the year where we decorate our homes, our yards, uh, like the Christmas season. And let's admit it, it can get tiring to the point that you're willing to accept a little Christmas light fail. I bought some pictures of some Christmas light fail. Like this guy is having total Christmas light fail, okay? But it's not as bad, in my opinion, as this next guy. I mean, if that's the best you're going to do... Why did you even bother, okay? Now, the most creative Christmas light fail I've ever seen is this guy. But maybe the one I relate to the most is this picture. What is it about Christmas lights that you put them in the attic and they defy the law of physics and every year when you get them out, they look like that? There is a home in our neighborhood that is famous for their Christmas lights. They put on quite a spectacle, even where the lights dance to Christmas music and cars line up all the way down the street to drive by. And so I went by this Christmas and there's just a big sign in the yard that says, taking a break this year. And I understand that because Christmas can be exhausting. And many of you are probably just ready for Christmas to get over. But what I've been suggesting this whole month is that what we really need is to get over Christmas. In other words, we need to get the overview of what God is really doing in sending his son born of a virgin as a babe in Bethlehem. That we need to let His story overshadow our own story. We need to let the arrival of the new king overrule our own agendas. And when we let what God is doing in Christ stay over our lives. Well, let me put it this way. We don't have to lose the Mary when the Christmas season is done. Do you remember... The angel appearing to the shepherds, announcing the birth of Christ. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Notice the angel said, I'm bringing you good news that will cause great joy. The angel was absolutely certain about this, that when Jesus comes, joy will overcome us. So I reread the birth narratives in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, and I counted seven specific narratives. Times when joy is mentioned at the news of the coming of Jesus. It is the dominant response to the announcement of the birth of Christ in the Gospels. Isaac Watts got it right. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Not did come, not was come. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. God is doing something in Jesus launched at Bethlehem that is still going on. And that's why there can be a kind of permanence to the joy launched at his birth. And this is where joy is going to part company with happiness. The reason happiness is fleeting It's because happiness is based on happenings. It is a feeling created by circumstances. The word happiness and happenings come from the same English root, hap, which means chance. And so things are just going to happen or chance to happen that are going to make you feel very happy. Also, things are going to happen that are going to make you feel unhappy. And it's not wrong, it's not unspiritual to have these feelings. In fact, every week we bring them with us. James says in chapter 5, is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. And every week people in both places come and worship with us. And Ryan has got to try to, to plan a worship time that ministers to people who are in a tough place right now and they don't feel happy. He also wants to Celebrate with people to whom God has been particularly good lately. And they feel very happy. And it's okay to feel both. God never commands you to feel happy. But God's word does urge us not to pursue happiness. But to discover joy. Joy is different. We are happy because of our circumstances. But we can be joyful in spite of our circumstances. Because joy is not produced by what is going on around us. Joy is produced by the Holy Spirit taking control inside us. The fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is love and joy and peace. Paul put it this way to the Roman church. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about what's going on outside us. He says the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you get that, then the Mary can stay when the Christmas is over but if you don't well it's like the story a friend of mine who preaches in Nashville said his uh Sunday school teacher of the five-year-olds was trying to get the children ready for the holiday season and so she asked them what is thanksgiving is Thanksgiving that day when we think about all that we have? Is Thanksgiving that day when we think, I want even more? Is Thanksgiving that day when we think, I want more than anybody else? I just want to think about me. And the kid said, no, that's not Thanksgiving, that's Christmas. <laughs> and so, if this week your contentment is going to be contingent, On all the circumstances lining up perfectly, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. If the food has to turn out just right, and all the people have to be there just on time, and all the right people have to show up, and everybody has to get along, and all the gifts have to be just right, if that's what it's going to take, you are setting yourself up for a non-merry Christmas. I'm suggesting that we get the overview. Have you ever considered that the participants in the first Christmas did not have an easy life? Their circumstances were not happy. They were very poor people. They lived on the margins. They lived as fugitives, fearing for their lives. They had few resources, they had no influence. When they were invited into this story. But they're not overwhelmed. In fact they are overcome. With joy. Do you remember the wise men that we talked about last week? They went to Bethlehem. They found out the baby was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they're on their way. And it says that when they saw the star. They were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They were overjoyed. And I want you to see how that joy expressed itself. First, In praise to God, joy just overflows in praise. It says the first thing they did was bow down and worship the Christ. And worship just dominates the birth narratives of Jesus. Every story you read, somebody's worshiping. And it's not have to worship. It's not ought to worship. It's Get to worship. It's want to worship. It's the kind of worship that cannot be contained by a building and it cannot be restrained by difficult circumstances. Do you remember the angel said that the Christ is born in Bethlehem and then it says next that a, suddenly a great company Of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. I mean, it's like the angels couldn't contain themselves anymore. They had been waiting so long to celebrate this good news. And so when the news was finally shared with the shepherds, it's just like church just broke out in the sky and the angels had to worship God. Christmas. Is the greatest call to worship in history. They gave glory to God. And by the way. The word glorify. Literally means to have an opinion. And to make it known. Worship is when you have an opinion about Jesus. And you let that opinion about Jesus be known to Jesus. And to others, the shepherds, it says they went all through the country just telling everybody about what they had experienced. And then it says that they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that's just not how I'm wired. I just don't think I could ever be a very exuberant worshiper. Oh, yes, you could because you already are. Every time you go to watch your favorite team play. So some years ago, I got to put something off my bucket list. I got to go to the final game of the NCAA basketball tournament, the Final Four. Uh, I got a ticket, and it was UCLA playing the University of Arkansas for the national championship. I didn't really care who won. I just wanted to see the game. And a man sat down next to me, dressed in all red. He had red face paint on. He had a huge hat on his head in the shape of a pig. And every now and then he would stand up and he would scream, Suey! So I was intrigued and I turned and said, who are you rooting for? (laughs) I did not have to do that. Because he had made his opinion known about what he came to praise. That reminds me again of how the message describes the shepherds. It says, the sheepherders returned and let loose, glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. You can not grasp what God is doing in Jesus and keep it inside. And so if you sit there with a scowl on your face and I don't know the words and you're worshiping like this, you still don't get it. Worship has to be released. When you get the overview of how big this thing is that God is doing in Jesus to save your soul, you get over any hang-ups about letting loose your worship. The overjoyed know. They cannot overdo it. When it comes to praise of God. And. Joy not only just overwhelms their worship. It overwhelms their sacrifices for Christ. Because the next thing they did after they worshiped the child. Is it says they opened up their treasures. And they presented him with gifts. Now. We are born with Velcro hearts. Our flesh likes to cling and to clutch and to own and to say, mine. But when you get the overview, your heart goes from Velcro to Teflon. And suddenly surrendering and sacrificing Is a joy, not because it's easy, but because Jesus is worth it. Think about Mary and what she sacrificed when she agreed to let her life be overshadowed by the Jesus story. She sacrificed her reputation. She knew that for the rest of her life, some would look at her and think, oh, she's that kind of girl. She sacrificed her sense of security. She would spend many years constantly on the move. Nervous every time she saw a soldier. Because there was a death threat out on her son. She sacrificed... Every dream she had as a little girl of what her ideal future was going to look like. She even sacrificed her happiness. The prophet said, a sword's going to pierce your heart, Mary. And it did. She would live a lot of her adult life as a single mom in poverty. With sibling rivalry. With constant slander and innuendo about her oldest boy. Who she would watch get murdered. That's what Mary sacrificed. That's the story she was asked to step into. And yet, do you know what her first response was when she was asked to be a part of this story? It was worship. In fact, let me show you how her song started. Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That reminds me of the apostles in Acts 5. They're preaching Jesus. They're making their opinion known. They're told to stop. They're thrown in prison. They are flogged. Their backs are ripped open by whips. And you know what the Bible says? They rejoiced. That they were counted worthy to suffer. Not because it was easy. But because Jesus is worth it. One of the uh, most dangerous myths. That Christmas can feed. Is that more. Will make you merrier. If I just give in to my desire to acquire. And get more. I bet that would make me happy but Jesus said you know what you would actually be a more contented person by giving instead of thinking so much about getting you've all seen the red kettles of the salvation army people drop all kinds of things in those kettles but one of the most interesting I read about recently up in Boston a woman dropped A wedding ring. And so uh, Michael Harper, who's the commander of the Cambridge unit, read the note attached. And the note said, my husband loved to help needy people. His favorite time of year was Christmas and his highest joy was giving to those in need. And he just passed in honor of his memory... I donate my wedding ring. It was valued at $1,800. It sold for $21,000. And maybe part of her motivation was explained by her last line. To find the worth of a man, take away his money. What sacrifices do you make for Jesus for joy? Not Have to. Not ought to. But I'm talking about. I get to. I want to. Do this. For Jesus. Do you know Jesus sacrificed with joy for you? The Bible says for the joy. That was set before him. He endured the cross. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice. For the joy. Of getting To bring salvation to us. Because, you see, joy overtakes the path of obedience. After they worshipped and they gave the child their sacrifices. It says they were warned in a dream not to go back the way they came. So they went back an alternate route. Now, it wasn't the easiest way to go back. They came the easiest way. It wasn't the shortest or the cheapest way to go back. That's the way they came. But when you find Jesus. You are always eager to make course adjustments. Joseph did. Man his life turned out nothing like he imagined. He kept having to. Find new places to live. Start a business, stop a business, start it again, stop it again. On the road all the time. Knowing the rest of his life, people would be talking about his family and some of the talk would be ugly. Think about this. One of the first things the angel said is, you marry that girl, but don't have sex with her. Don't have sex with your wife until she gives birth to that baby. But you read, and every single time Joseph is told to do something, he does it immediately. There's something inside him that compels him to pray, Thy will be done when everything around him is screaming, Thy will be changed. Where does a man find that kind of strength? I think the answer is in a verse... In the Old Testament where Nehemiah told the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, Christmas is inviting all of us to accept the call of discipleship. The call that Mary said yes to. The call that Joseph said yes to. It's a call to let Jesus overshadow our story. It's a call to let Jesus overrule our agenda. It's a call to walk by a different path than everyone else is walking. I was very convicted recently by reading a quote from a minister named Robert Capon. Who says the most critical issue facing Christians today is not abortion or pornography or the disintegration of the family, moral absolutes, MTV, drugs, racism, sexuality, or school prayer. The critical issue in the church today is dullness. We have lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It's just... Okay news. And Jesus isn't changing people anymore into wild-eyed radicals. He's just changing them into nice people. And I think there's truth in that. The one who was born of a virgin who came to earth and gave up all heaven had to be among us and to save us apparently has no higher agenda for us than to cuss a little less. No. He came to change us, to shape us, to transform us into wild-eyed, radical, committed disciples who were going to walk a different path with joy. And I think Some of us are afraid to follow Jesus radically because we think that will get in the way of our joy. When in fact, Jesus is the way to our highest joy. Some of you are old enough to remember the name of Chuck Colson. Powerful government official sent to prison for his part in the Watergate scandal. While he was in prison. He met Jesus Christ. And he had a wild course adjustment. When he was released, instead of spending his time in the places of power that he had been for years, he went back to the prisons to preach Jesus. He got a phone call once from a man in Florida named Jack Eckerd, the founder of the Eckerd Drug Stores, at the time the second largest drugstore chain in America. Now, Jack Eckerd was not a believer But he was unhappy with the criminal justice system in Florida and thought Colson might have some great ideas on reformation. So he brought him down, flew him around for a week in his private jet to meet important people to talk about ways to improve the criminal justice system in Florida. Coulson would testify to Eckerd he had nothing to do with it that week. But the seed was planted. One year later, Jack Eckerd did give his life to Jesus. And he immediately started walking a different route. Shortly after his conversion, he's walking in one of his stores and he notices something he's never noticed before. His stores sell pornographic magazines. So he calls his president and his CEO and says, I want those magazines out of all my stores. They said, Jack, we're not going to do that. That would cost us millions of dollars. But Jack later told Chuck Colson, Jesus would not let me off the hook. So they did do that. And he didn't stop there. He wrote the presence of other big drugstore chains in. why don't you take those magazines out too? Well, they all said no. Until they noticed that the sales at Eckerd's began to go up since they removed the magazines. In fact, the chairman of 7-Eleven was on his board And did the same. Within one year. Twelve months. Eleven thousand retail outlets in America. Took pornographic magazines off their shelves. And nobody passed a law. Nobody organized a boycott. Nobody got on Facebook and said share if you agree. But one man. Walking a different route made a difference because the joy of the Lord was his strength. Now Christmas is about to be over. But the claim of Christmas is never over. The message of what God is doing in Jesus is not seasonal. The joy should remain because Jesus Is come. That's why Paul could say. In Thessalonians. Always be. Joyful. Not happy. You can't control your circumstances. But you can always. Be joyful. If you have the overview. So. So. I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself a question. Do I need a joy over? Is there a place in your life where you have been chasing happy instead of embracing joy? Because joy doesn't come from a present It comes from a presence. And when that presence is within you, it gives you a kind of leverage over the things going on around you. One of the great journalists and satirists of the last century was a man named Malcolm Muggeridge. He was from England, and he was an atheist and a committed Marxist. In fact, he went to Russia to write a story on the death of religion in that country. He interviewed many important officials in the Kremlin. But it was Easter weekend, so he decided that Sunday to visit an Orthodox church. And at the end of the service, the priest stood up and said, Christ is risen, and all these people on the margins of Russian society, stood up and shouted, He is risen indeed. And Mugridge wrote, I looked in their faces, and in a moment I realized, Stalin is wrong, and they are right. He said, the joy I saw in them tipped the scales in my soul. To the direction of Jesus. Who he would later claim. And defend the rest of his life. The Bible says. Be joyful. Because you have hope. The circumstances come and go the situations you cannot control, the people you cannot change will always be around. But the hope will always be there because Jesus is come. This story will end with Him on the throne with every knee bowing And that hope is why. When Christmas is over, you can still be overjoyed. So I want you to bow your head. I'm going to finish the prayer, but I want you to start it. I want you to think about some place in your life where you need a joy over. You've been chasing happy. And you need instead to embrace joy. So do some business with the Lord for just a second. Oh God, thank you for what you started in Bethlehem. And we believe what you started, you are going to finish. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will complain that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That He is come. He is with us. And what you are doing in us is greater than anything around us. And so, God, we surrender happy and in Jesus name we receive joy amen let me ask you all to stand upstairs and downstairs we have prayer teams who would love to pray with you would love to encourage you would love to assist you in your decision to be baptized and to name Jesus we ask you to come now while we worship the Lord